Welcome to our series on Colombia, in which we explore the history of the country's internal armed conflict. In this podcast, we hear from Dutch national Tanya Nijmeyer. Tanya fought with the FARC and was a member of the FARC's negotiating team during the peace talks with the Santos government. She reflects on why she joined the FARC, the peace process, and the challenges that lie ahead. This audio had to be recorded over a web connection, as it was the only way of speaking direct to Tanya, who is in Bogota. My name is Tanya Naimaya, which is my civilian name. My name in the, within the guerrilla forces was Alexandra Nariño. But right now I have reincorporated into civilian life, so I present myself as Tanya Naimaya again. At the moment, I'm in Bogota, Colombia, at the Office of the Implementation Commission of the FARC. The Implementation Commission is a joint commission of government and FARC, which is working on a monitoring and a verification of the peace agreement made between the FARC and the government, which was signed in November 2016 and negotiated in Havana, Cuba during some five years. In 2012, we started negotiating the peace agreements and in 2016, they were signed. That's basically my job here in Bogota, but I'm not working here all the time. I'm also traveling a lot to Cali, where I'm uh, doing work in the political party of the FARC at the regional level. And I'm also traveling a lot to the transitional zone in La Elvira, Cauca, which is a zone where ex-combatants uh, like myself are living at the moment. There are 26 of these zones in the country where the whole decommissioning of weapons found place. There are not many people there anymore because of the bad functioning of the reincorporation of ex-guerrilla fighters. But there's still people living there trying to implement productive projects, educative projects. So I'm also spending time there and I'm part of the leadership of the zone. When I was 21 years old, more or less, I was studying Spanish, relevant languages and cultures at the university in Holland. And I had to do my practical studies in some country which was Spanish speaking. So they were offering a job as an English teacher in Colombia. I had already studied in Spain for one year, so my Spanish was quite good. And I decided to go to Colombia for a year to work as an English teacher in Bereda. I wasn't really interested in politics. My interests were more history, literature, art. I didn't know anything about guerrilla forces, about civil war. When I came to Pereira, of course, I saw on television that a civil war was going on, but really in the cities, you didn't notice a lot of the civil war. But the civil war was very much on the countryside and in the jungle. So I started to ask a lot about them to people who were around me at the school where I was working. And many people gave me answers that didn't really satisfy me, like very bad people and they cheat on poor peasants and they give them food, they give them clothes and then they have to fight for those bad people. Some explanations I said, these are not logical explanations. That's when I got to know a math teacher at the school where I was working and she had a lot of more intelligent answers to my questions. 
we became friends. And she started to explain me a lot about the history of the Colombian conflict. When I was in Colombia by then, there were peace talks in Educar I started to write my thesis about the FARC, about the peace talks in Educar I was one year in Colombia, and when that year finished, I was very much convinced of the need of a change in, in Colombia. I also entered in contact with state terrorism, with policemen killing people, with stories of students who wanted to do politics, but because of doing politics, they were killed or imprisoned or being prosecuted. But I didn't really decide to stay in Colombia. I went back to Holland. I was in Holland for two more years. I finished my studies and I started to do political activism in Holland. But I found it very difficult to do political activism in Holland because people don't really feel the need of a change. So I was very much focused on Colombia. And when I finished my studies, I was like, I want to go back. I was not thinking about going to the jungle or anything. I was just thinking about going back and see how people were going to bring about the revolution or how changes were going to be implemented in Colombia. I thought, well, in Colombia, there's the biggest guerrilla army in the world. So if there's going to be a significant change in the world, it will be in Colombia and Latin America. So I just want to witness that. That's when I came back to Colombia. I met again with the math teacher. We started talking. At some moment, I told her I would like to do something, like to contribute and I started to write articles. We started to do some intellectual work for the guerrilla forces. And finally, I ended up working with the militias in Bogota. I worked them for eight months in military operations. And then I went to the jungle. Firstly, I went to the jungle for a training of six months. But after some two or three months, I asked them if I could join the forces, if I could stay in the jungle, and they told me that it was okay, that I could stay. So then after one year, they sent me to a basic military course, political military course, for some three months. And when I got out of that first basic course was when war started in Colombia. I went to the jungle in April 2003, and I came out of the jungle in November 2012. People ask me many times, why did you join the guerrilla? Why didn't you struggle in another way? Well, it's like the people you meet, the circumstances you are in, the commitment you want to have with the struggle. So it was just that I got to meet those people from the flock and I thought, what you are doing is great. What you're doing is a real struggle and I admire people who just say, we take up weapons because we are convinced that weapons are the only way to fight against state terrorism. And I was like, yeah, I want to show my solidarity with these people. The conflict in Colombia was very tough in a psychological sense, but also in a physical sense. I think especially when the patriotic plan started, which was part of Plan Colombia, which started more or less in 2004, 2005, when airplanes and bombs started to use a very tough conflict, I would say, and also a very unequal conflict. 
forces on the ground, supported by forces in the air, and with all the technology from the United States. And for us, of course, it was very difficult to fight airplanes especially. As a foreigner, I thought many, many times when people died in the jungle, I can't believe that military forces in a country kill students and peasant people who are living in their own country. That was something difficult for me to understand. I mean, when you get to know guerrilla fighters and you know where they come from and you get to know those people as intelligent people, as creative people, as people who could contribute a lot to this country, this doesn't make any sense. Of course, I think if you get to know people from the other side, like I got to know lately, soldiers, policemen, you would think the same thing. It doesn't make any sense. This is very sad. A lot of people in the FARC are women. We always thought we were like 40% of the force. Right now, when we had the possibility to do like a census, we find, found out that we are like 23% of the forces. But I'm not really sure about that. I would say at least like 30% from what I've seen. So there are many women in the FARC. Compared to Colombian society, there's a lot of equality between men and women within the FARC. I think it's difficult for people from Europe to imagine the unequality of women and men within Colombian society, where women most of the time are just uh, at home. They're totally excluded from public life. And that's also the reason why many Colombian women decide to join the FARC. Because in the FARC, things are different. We have like the same tasks. Women cook, men cook, women wash clothes, men wash clothes. Women go to combat, men go to combat. So everything is the same for men and women, which sometimes can be hard because, of course, some women, we don't have the same physical conditions as men. But for me, that was the really satisfying part of being in the FARC, seeing that Within the FARC, we were fighting against machismo, against that inequality in Colombian society. When we were in Havana negotiating the peace agreement, we used to say, we don't want to change our rifles for cooking pans. Within the party, I think we have done a great job in terms of female participation. We are not there. I mean, we haven't finished and we're not perfect, but we are working on it. And I think that's very important. But you can also see in the zones where ex-combatants are living that the situation is more complex. A lot of couples, for example, within the guerrilla have totally equal lives. You can see when they reincorporate, because we don't talk about demobilization, we talk about reincorporation. When they reincorporate into civilian life, they tend to get into those traditional roles sometimes again. Also, there's a whole society like a family, a neighborhood, the communities who pressure a lot for women to get into these roles again. And that's difficult. That's something we want to fight against. It was easier to fight against it being in the jungle, like in a very small community. Then right now, when we have a whole society around us who's like putting a lot of pressure on women to get back to those traditional roles.
when the results of the plebiscite came out and when we saw the whole manipulation around gender issues within the plebiscite and the campaign for the plebiscite, and we were like, this is too sad. We have worked so much on including a gender vision, a gender perspective into the peace agreements. And now they're like destroying the work we did with arguments, which are really ridiculous. Like, for example, the peace agreement wants to make everybody gay. That was one argument, and people believed it. Or like the gender perspective of the peace agreement wants to finish with the traditional values of the family. The peace agreement and the gender perspective isn't about that, but people just believed it, and they voted against the peace agreement. So there were two signings of the peace agreement. The first one was in Havana. After the first signing of the peace agreement, there was really no need to do a plebiscite. But Juan Manuel Santos, Colombia's president, he felt that the peace agreement needed popular support. So that's why he organized a plebiscite, which is kind of a referendum. Finally, the peace agreement lost. It was like 51% against the peace agreement and 49% for it. Something like that. I don't remember the numbers exactly, but it lost, which was a very strong argument for the right and for the far right in Colombia to say, we don't want the peace agreement. Colombians are against the peace agreements. And it was a very sad moment, I think, for people who did want peace. And what you could see in those results is that people really suffered the conflict. People from the countryside, people from Cauca, from Chocó, from those regions which are very much abandoned by the state, they voted for the peace agreements. But people in the cities who were very much influenced by the media, what the media said about gender perspective about that the peace agreement wanted to finish with private property, for example. Those were the people who voted against the peace agreement. So it was a really sad thing. I do feel reincorporated, but also with a lot of nostalgia to the past. And that has especially to do with the fact that the reincorporation process isn't working the way it should be working. Because there are not enough resources, there's not enough goodwill from the government. There's just come out a report by the Human Rights Commission in Colombia from the United Nations, where they also acknowledge that the process isn't going well. There's a real problem with resources, and we also feel that at the local level, we have a lot of ideas, there's a lot of goodwill to do projects, productive projects to receive education, but everything has been very, very difficult. And people feel that in the zones. A lot of people have gone home. They just go home because they don't see opportunities. They just go home to the families who are, in most cases, very poor as well. So but people don't see any opportunities within the reincorporation process. And a lot of things, when you have a look at the agreement and the promises that were made within the agreement, and you see what has been carried out in practice is very little. I think that the numbers say it's like a 12% or 18% what the government has fulfilled. And in practice, you feel those numbers. You can really feel it in the transitional zones. 
it's a tragedy and I think that's very important like to stress that because I have the feeling when I speak to people in Holland and in Europe in general that people think that peace was made, the guerrillas handed over their weapons, decommissioning has finished and that everything's going okay. I think there's a very small group, which is really very small within Colombian society of people who really don't want peace because they were living better within the war. And I think those people have a lot of power. And I also think those people have a lot of power over the media. And when people say they don't want to live next to a former guerrilla fighter or they don't want their sons and daughters to be friends with a former guerrilla fighter, they're very influenced by the media, which is something I have seen from the beginning of the peace process. I mean, the government didn't invest anything in publicity about peace, in preparing people for peace. But there was money for guerrilla fighters to defect from the guerrilla forces. When people started about the possibility of negotiating peace and going to Havana and everything, I didn't really believe in it. I was told that I had to participate in the peace process. And of course, I was very excited about going to Havana after so many years in the jungle. But I was like, no, this is going to be like two or three months and then we will just be back in the jungle. There was one and a half year of exploratory peace talks before the real peace talks started. And within those exploratory talks, it was clear that the government just wanted us to hand over the weapons. They didn't want anything else. So that's why we were like very skeptical about peace. And also because, of course, in Colombia, there have been like four or five failed peace processes. But once we got to Havana and we started negotiating the first point of the agenda, Really quickly, I started to believe in peace and I started to believe that this was going to be possible. And for me, that was something very positive because this conflict was causing a lot of pain, a lot of suffering to people who didn't have really anything to do with it. And it was also clear that there wasn't going to be any winner, there wasn't going to be any loser of this conflict. So the best you can do is, from a humanitarian perspective, is to make peace. Our former commander, Manuel Maulandadeles, he always said, there's no way to humanize a conflict. The only way to humanize a conflict is to end the conflict. And we clearly felt that was what we're doing. So... I think that one was what kept us moving. I remember the first meeting at the table as very uncomfortable. We were all standing behind our chairs and really no one knew like to give each other a hand or not to or to sit down or whatever. But after some while, well, you just start to talk. Within time, well, you just build like some human relations and I think that's what happened between the government delegation and the FARC delegation where right? you, you start to see each other as human beings and you can like each other or not. <laughs> In some way I do think that you always continue seeing the other side as the voice of institutions, the voice of the government but on the other side you also see like the human part of them. And that influences on, on peace talks and how they are managed. There are a lot of things I really think are very special and very 
unique of, of this peace process. For example, the, the fact of victims being at the center of the agreement, the whole peace tribunal, the special jurisdiction for peace, is a very special and new and innovative system of treating the topic of transitional justice. I couldn't like really say what is the best thing about the peace agreement. I think the peace agreement is excellent, excellent in all its aspects. For example, the war against drugs, how it should be treated from a social point of view and not from a criminal point of view. Of course, the gender perspective and the female participation within the peace process are unique in the world. And I think that's something very special about this peace process, which hasn't really been appreciated by the world. I think the causes of the conflict have been negotiated in the, at the peace process, because in my point of view, the cause of the conflict is not the problem around land. But the problem of the conflict is the problem around political participation. And I think in the second point of the agreement, political participation has been dealt with. And some very important reforms, like electoral reforms, were made in Havana. But the problem is, what happened in Guatemala can happen again in Colombia. Why? Because there's no real implementation of the peace agreement. So you can talk a lot, you can dialogue, you can negotiate a lot and make a lot of agreements and write a lot of beautiful things. But if you don't put them in practice, the worst thing will happen, like going back to a cycle of violence. I think we, the FARC, were very satisfied with the peace agreement around justice, the fifth point of the agenda, because it was not really like a punitive point of view around justice, but a restorative point of view. The victims are at the center of the agreement. The truth is at the center of the agreement. It's important for people to tell the truth. And if they tell the truth, they can get less punitive measures. So that agreement was also built with the help of victims' organizations, which I think is a very important aspect of it. And I think when it came out, when the peace agreement was signed, it was acceptable, both for the FARC as for the military. But what we can see now is that Congress is derailing the agreement around justice. And I'm convinced of the fact that many times people who wear weapons are not the main responsible of the conflict. The main responsible are people who finance, people who promote violence, people who promote war. And I think those people should also be obliged to go to the peace tribunal. The way it is right now, after it came to Congress, is that only guerrilla fighters and military, people who actually have weapons in their hands, obliged to go to the peace tribunal. When peace was signed, I felt something big was going to happen. I felt I was being witness of something historical in Colombia, which is something I don't feel anymore. Because of course, when you're at the signing of the agreement, you're like opening a door to the implementation and the implementation really never happened or it didn't happen the way we, we thought it should happen. So one year has gone by 
And everybody knows that the year after the signing of the peace agreement is the most important moment of the implementation, because if not, people can really derail and go back to the conflict. The peace agreements really didn't get protected against the next government. So it's a possibility if there's a government from the far right, they could roll back the different points of the peace agreement. That's a real possibility, which I think when we were negotiating the peace agreement in Havana, we didn't really think about that. We thought the peace agreement was going to be protected against future governments, that the peace agreements would be constitutional. And they're not, even Congress can change anything they want within the peace agreement. My hopes for the future don't have anything to do with elections. My hopes for the future are that people who live on the countryside and people in the territories, those people who have suffered from the conflict can finally receive rural development. I think once rural development comes to the abandoned zones of Colombia, things will get better. That's the first step in making peace. And that's also the base of the peace agreement. For me, that's my greatest hope for the future.